If I'm sitting on the Palestinian side, in 1917, this was our territory. And then you've decided to declare a state, you divide us, there's deteriorating healthcare conditions and all of this. I get it, I don't love violence. But what do you expect given all of what I just laid out? It's a question they should ask their own leadership. Obviously, Hamas is there because the Palestinians are letting them be there. Because if 50% of the population, which is one point something million people, are against it, why aren't they demonstrating against it? And so, like, why are we responsible for their leadership and what their leadership is doing today? What's up, Tribe listeners? I want to talk about our sponsor for today's episode, GoBundance, the tribe for healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. It's a tribe I've been a part of for five years now, and it's I keep coming back year after year because of the quality, the connections and interactions that I get and the accountability that I get toward the goals that I'm looking to achieve. GoBundance has meant everything to me. So I'm really, really proud to sit here on the Tribe of Millionaires podcast and tell you a little bit about GoBundance. Here's the thing. Why do you live where you live? Think about it. Why do you live in the neighborhood you live in or the apartment building you live in or wherever it might be? Usually people move into a community because of the quality of the neighbors and all of the amenities that are available to them. And then they go about using those amenities and leveraging that community to the best of their ability for growth. They make connections with neighbors, lifelong friendships, things that serve them. We want that for ourselves, for our wives or husbands and our children. That's what GoBundance is at the next level. Imagine if you're a man moving into a community of other millionaire men that are driven toward being the best versions of themselves as fathers, as husbands, in their health, in their relationships, in their contribution, you name it. That's what GoBundance provides. For me, it's been everything. I get with my GoBundance brothers on a weekly basis and I tell them, this is where I'm trying to go. Things I can't share with the regular folks in my life, my friends, my family that I've known forever. They only know me for who I've been. GoBundance guys, they know me only for who I'm becoming. And when I deviate, when I go off course from being that guy, from taking action toward being that guy, that's when they step in, that's when they hold me accountable, and that's what accelerates my growth. Go to GoBundance.com right now and apply. If you're a millionaire and a man, GoBundance.com. If you're a woman and a millionaire, GoBundanceWomen.com. And if you're not quite a millionaire, go to GoBundanceEmerge.com and you join me in the community that I've created in partnership with GoBundance to get yourself to that place of being what we call a whole life millionaire. GoBundance.com. You can start there, see everything that we have to offer. It's an incredible community. I can't wait for you to be a part of it. Now, back to the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Tribe of Millionaires podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Gruber. And today's guest, Litan Yahav, is an Israeli national. He's actually a, a friend, a guy I've known for a little bit now. And um, it's really just a timely time to talk about all that's happening between Israel and Palestine. As we all know, there's all these issues, the, the, the war that has broken out after the Hamas attack. And before I go to Litan, I just wanted to, for the audience sort of level sex. I know for me, it was like, all right, I, I know that something happened. I know there's a longstanding conflict. I've heard of terms like the West Bank and the Gaza Strip and all of that. But I don't know. I bulleted this out to give a sense of first where we are right now, and then a brief history going all the way back to World War I of why we are today. So if you can bear with me for a minute and a half, I'm going to go through this. On Saturday, October 7th, Hamas launched a multi-pronged air, land, and sea attack on Israel, killing more than 1,400 people and taking over 200 people hostage. This including going, included going door-to-door in border towns near the Gaza Strip, killing and kidnapping residents, including women and children. And this is the first time that I'm aware of that Hamas has actually invaded Israel. Israel has launched counterattacks and is preparing for a massive ground invasion. Gaza is a Palestinian territory that is 25 miles long, about six miles wide along the Mediterranean. For context, it's about an area two times the size of Washington, D.C., and it's bordered to the east and the north by Israel and to the south by Egypt. It is densely populated, about 2.3 million residents in the Gaza Strip. The group Hamas took over power in Gaza in 2006, prompting Israel and Egypt to implement a blockade of the region since 2007. Things like computers and software are not allowed to get in. The fear is that they could develop weaponry. Hamas is a Palestinian militant group that per the US, the UK, the EU, and Israel is a terrorist organization. And its charter, in its charter, it is sworn to destroy Israel, to eliminate Israel. There's no 
if, ends, or but about what Hamas wants to do. There's no negotiation. It is the eradication of Israel. A brief history of how we got here. I have eight bullets on this just to give everybody context. 1917, the Ottoman Empire is defeated in World War I, and Britain takes control of what we now call the Israel and Palestine region. At the time, it was 94% Arab, 6% Jewish. Between the 20s and the 40s, due to the Holocaust and violence against Jews, many Jews flee to Palestine, and it prompts the conflict that we see raging today. There's a lot of people coming into this region. 1947, the UN decides to divide the land into a Jewish and Arab state, declaring Jerusalem at the time as an international city, which was embraced by Jewish leadership, but it was not embraced by Arab leaders. The next year in 1948, Great Britain leaves. They say, we're out of here. And Jewish leaders declare the state of Israel, backed by the United States, Harry Truman at the time, prompting the Israeli-Arab war, causing about 750,000 Palestinians to be divided between what is known as the West Bank on the east side of Israel and the Gaza Strip, which is the southwest, and Israel, the land of Israel divides both of those areas. And there was never a peace agreement as that war raged on. In 1967, the Six-Day War rages, ending with Israel occupying Gaza and the West Bank, and this arrangement prompts Israel to block any movement of Palestinians from one region to the other due to existential threats against the state of Israel. 1995, the West Bank is divided into three regions, one owned by Palestinians, one owned by Israelis, the other owned jointly, gives about Palestine about 15% control of what they would call historic Palestine. And in 2007, as we said, the Palestinian militant group Hamas takes over Gaza, prompting the blockade, which now is accelerated to include blockades of food and water into that region after the attack uh, that we just had early in October. And Jerusalem, the capital city, uh, is the capital city of Israel. Uh, but the Palestinians say that the east side of the city represents the capital of their future state. I'm going to go to you, Litan. What did I miss on that factually or, or maybe I... I, I Tried to keep it all facts. Hopefully there was no bias sounding in there on one side or the other. But what did I miss? Or was that a, a decent outline of, of what has happened and how we got to where we are today? That was a really good overview. I, 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 I mean, I can go into details. I don't want to waste time on details. Just There was one thing that's important to emphasize. There were more wars that broke out since 48 and until today. Um, the Yom Kippur War, which is a, is a big war in 73, and some other wars. Also the Six-Day War. All these wars were never initiated by Israel. There was Israel being attacked, protecting itself. And as it protected itself, we took over territories in return. That's sort of like the, the history. Like Yom Kippur is this really, Yom Kippur is also a really important war because a lot of Israelis look at what happened in, the, in Yom Kippur and compare it a little to what happened today from a sort of a, a military disaster, uh, intelligence not prepared. Like Yom Kippur, we were totally caught off guard most of the military, and we were invaded by the north, the south, the east, everyone. Um, so it, it sort of segues into today, same thing. Right? We had a really bad military disaster that leaded to those events of, of those hostages and the border towns that got attacked. And, and also another thing, this is not the first time that's happened. It's the first time it's happened at this scale. Um, it's happened before many years, like I think, I don't remember, I think 10, 12 years ago, where they, they also managed to infiltrate um, Israel uh, and attacking a group of soldiers, kidnapping two dead ones and one live one. This was Hamas? This was Hamas. Okay. Um, holding a, guy, a, a soldier called Gilad Shalit. I don't know if, if, if you read about that, but it's just, it was this, this soldier, young, young kid, I think he was 19 when he was kidnapped, and he was held for three years in Hamas captivity. And at the end, he was released in return to 1,500 terrorist prisoners that were held in Israeli jails. Um, wow. many, many of these prisoners were also participated in other terrorist acts, including this current one. Um, so that's some just two small additions that I think it's important to add to that to those facts. And there's, there's a small, but I think that was a really good overview, man. You did no, no, good. that's... That's what I wanted. I wanted context from you. I mean, this is this is where you're from. I know you're you're uh, you're in the U.S. right now, and you were when the attack happened. But Israel is home, so that's why I wanted to get your perspective. What's the general sense of the Israeli-Palestinian arrangement as far as as far as how people are perceived by the other side? So, as an Israeli, 
And I, I, I think about here where I am, Dominican Republic, Haiti, we share an island. Dominicans are sort of the dominant economy, dominant country on this island. Haitians, uh, that's, that country's a mess, honestly. And so I kind of feel there's some parallel there, right? Israel is very well developed. Gaza, the Palestinian uh, uh, parts of that, of that region, not so much, right? There's, there's a lot more struggle there. Here, a lot of Dominicans, I've been told, say that there's just this sort of like from the time you're born and maybe conditioned, I don't trust Haitians. Does that parallel at all with Israelis and Palestinians? What's the feeling in terms of relations? Because there's Palestinians that live in Israel, right? So they're, they're around. Is there a general distrust between these two cultures or is that more on the military side? That's, there are a lot of layers to that answer. So first of all, yes, you're right. There, were, there are Arab Israelis, meaning Palestinians who lived in Israel before 48 and they're still in Israel. And they're called Arab Israelis. They have Israeli citizenship. They they vote. They have their own. They have their own representatives in parliament. Um, so there's a very I think like 1.5 million population out of nine million Israelis. 1.5 million of them are Arab Israelis. Um, and and now the Palestinians that aren't Arab Israelis, it means they live outside of the borders of 67, uh, which is the West Bank. And by the way, it's the West Bank because it's the West Bank of the Jordan River, which yeah. divides between Jordan, Jordan and Israel, and and, and Gaza. Now, Palestinians as a people are all over, uh, all around the world, and, and they're oppressed by every, like Jordan doesn't want Palestinians, Egypt doesn't want Palestinians, Lebanon. Like, unfortunately, these are, these poor people are not wanted in a lot of places. The Arab countries don't want the Palestinians. Why? I have no idea. Hmm. I, I don't know. Um, but, and, and it's just also important to emphasize, Israel does not have a problem with the Palestinian people. Israel's fight is against terrorist organizations, the extreme terrorists that live among these Palestinian people. And because these Palestinian people are, they're poor, they're, they're poor people, both from a, a lot of them are poor, not all of them, but m many of them are poor. Many, so that, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of Israelis feel sorry for the Palestinian people, the people themselves, right. because they've been, they're being taken advantage by terrorist organizations by, you know, people that are, you know, I'll give you money. I'll give your, I'll give your, your parents will receive money. If you go and you commit suicide, um, you, you know, and, and, and a bunch of those like, aspects. And so it's really important to emphasize there's no war against any Palestinian people or any state of Palestine. There's war against terrorists. Now, what, what the problem with that is that when you have extremists in any culture, in any community, in any, you know, amongst any people, those extremists tend to define the people themselves. And it's very difficult to separate between those, ter those terrorists and the regular people, the regular civilians. Um, and, and so there, I, I want to say, I don't want to say racial profiling, but it is because, you know, when, when, you, when you speak with a Palestinian and you want to make sure this is not a terrorist, you interrogate them and ask them questions and that's like the snowball effect because it makes them feel like, hey, wait, there's double standards here, right? And, and this is, happens all over the world, not just Palestinians or anything, right? But, but like I remember as a kid and this, when, when I grew up and I, I moved to Israel when I was nine years old from the U.S. This was 91. And throughout the 90s, the level of terrorism inside Israel was a lot higher than it was today. Like we had buses exploding and coffee shops in Tel Aviv going and like terrorist bombers and stuff like that. And so like riding a bus as a 15-year-old or a 17-year-old and seeing, um, you know, a Muslim person board the bus, they're, 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 there's like, most chances are these are really good people and everything's good, but you, your mind is wired. To, oh, wait, I have to be over aware if this person has wires out of their back, like stuff like that. Yeah. It's sad. It's like really sad because these small, this small group of people, these terrorists, affect millions of people. And, and, you know, fast forward to now to like, you know, yeah, we call this the Black Saturday of October 7th and the, the, the infiltration, all that. These poor people are being used as shields by these terrorist organizations so that we, if we attack the terrorists, we kill innocent people. And then obviously the narrative is against Israel because we're bad people for killing civilians. That's the narrative. And so there's like a whole thing to unpack on this, but that's like the general feeling. I, there's a lot of, that's a long answer to a short question. It's great. Great answer though. I appreciate the context. I want to play the other side for a minute just to get your take. 
So you had mentioned about, hey, look, uh, uh, Israel has never proactively attacked you know, Palestinian territory. It's always in defense, right? If I'm sitting on the other side, now, there's always two sides, right? If I'm sitting on the Palestinian side, I might be yelling at the top of my lungs right now, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't you hear what he said? In 1917, this was our territory. And then post-Holocaust, it became more Jewish. And then you, you decided to declare a state. We didn't support that. You divide us. And then you constrain us within this small area. What do you expect? I mean, Hamas is not because that's what we want, but Hamas is born out of the fact that there's 50% unemployment in Gaza. There's, you know, deteriorating healthcare conditions and all of this because you've decided to force us into one small area. You don't allow our, our relatives and, and ancestors and descendants to come across the, 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 the land of Israel from Gaza to get to us, or I'm sorry, from West Bank to Gaza. I mean, we don't, I saw this stat, 58% in the Gaza Strip support what Hamas did, 42% in the West Bank. Big numbers, but that's a 50-50 divide, right? Like no matter what you're like, half, like you said, half of the Palestinians are like, look, we don't love our condition, but like going in and killing people, we don't support that either. But that's still a lot of people that do. What do you say to the person on the Palestinian side that says, I get it, I don't love violence, but what do you expect given all of what I just laid out? I think it's a really hard question to ask us, and it's a question they should ask their own leadership. Obviously, Hamas is there because the Palestinians are letting them be there. Yeah. Because if 50% of the population, which is one point something million people, are against it, why aren't they demonstrating against it? Because it's easy for, I mean, it's not easy, but like they chose a side. And, and so like, why are we responsible for their leadership and what their leadership is doing to them? The only reason, so keep in mind, Israel allows Palestinians from the West Bank to come into Israel and work. Israel allows Palestinians from Gaza Strip to come into Israel and work. I read an article that for the past year, which has been fairly quiet with Gaza, and more and more people have been let in to Israel to work, and more and more stuff has been let in to, to, to Gaza, you know, for humanitarian stuff. But both sides of that have been used against us. They've been building intelligence um, tunnels, infrastructure to attack us deeper during that time where we let more of the rains out, right? The, the, during this year, there were people that were working in these towns that were attacked, you know, as gardeners, as, as uh, um, carpenters, as people fixing up homes. And during that time, they've been planting, you know, planting things around Israeli territory so that they can take this out and use it when they go through the, the fences. They've been laying out the, 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 the layout of these houses, where, which house has a bomb shelter, which house uh, has, has you know, different types of stuff in, within it that they can then take advantage of. I mean, there's been, st when, 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 we, when we let things go into Gaza, uh, you know, uh, um, cement, water, money, the people who take this are Hamas. Mm. And they'll hand it out only to people who support Hamas. And so the poor people who don't support Hamas won't get food, won't get water, won't get money if they don't do what the Hamas says. And so, like, I understand how this looks to the world. Obviously, if I were on the other side, I'd be fucking pissed off as well. Okay. But, I mean, you can say the same, like, you go all the way to the other side of the world to, to Iran, right? And Iran's government also wants the destruction of Israel and also wants to destroy us and, and doing a lot of bad stuff around the world. And there's a huge part of the Iranian community, you know, people that are, that are great people. But why aren't they doing anything? Like, I, I'm just saying, like, there's, there's a limit to how Israel should re take responsibility for the way other countries or, or this terrorist organization or these Palestinians are acting towards their own people. Now, just on also, um, 48, Israel was defined by the UN mm -hmm. as a state for Jews. This yeah. isn't just a U.S. And, and Jews deciding, hey, I'm going to go here. And, and obviously, you know, the, the people who lived here didn't like it. But if you want to go behind, even, even further in history, like, yeah, 1917, but there were, there were Arabs, there were Jews. But, but then many, like a, hundreds of years before that, there were more Jews. And then before that, there were more Jews. And then there were Arabs and there were Jews and there were Arabs. I mean, you go back in time, you know, and, and, and another important point, you know, Palestinians at the end of the day, are, they, they're Muslim Arabs. They have 70 countries around the world they can live. Jews have zero. Right. Even now, during this whole conflict, no one want, no one's opening their gates for the Palestinians to go in. Why is that? 
What? How is that possible? Like, you know, Ukrainian war, people are taking Ukrainian refugees, but no one's taking the Palestinians. They have a border with Egypt and Egypt won't open their border for them to go in. Is there, you said you don't know, and I get that, but have you heard any reason why Palestinians are sort of, I don't know, blocked by the international community, specifically that, that, that group, that race? I don't know. Honestly, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, and, and they've interviewed, you know, you know, Palestinians, they've interviewed the son of like a Hamas leader. And they're all sort of saying the same things that I'm saying. It's like, it's not, Israelis are not making this up. Um, but the sad part is we're really bad at maintaining the narrative. So, you know, it's, it's interesting you talk about, you know, I, I have the same thing with the U S land grabs. It's, it's like the people, I don't know, this is going to sound like I'm politicizing this, but I do think that when somebody says, oh, we took the land from, it's like, well, we were just the most recent. In other words, if you go back even in U.S. history, uh, and I'm going to get this all wrong, but just as an example, we stole the land from the Cherokee. Well, this part, part of the country. Well, the Cherokee at some point stole the land from the Mohawk. And the Mohawk at some point stole the land from the, the Mississippi or, or whatever, right? So none of it's right, but the history of the world has always been, to your point, about you know land being forcibly taken by somebody. And in the case of, I think what you're saying, Israel-Palestine, is it was a UN decision to split the, the territory, US, U, uh, Israel-Palestine. And you're saying, I think at that point, I think we talked about this, that that prompted a Palestinian war against Israel, which Israel won, therefore took more land and and uh, uh, Palestinians were forced into the West Bank, into Gaza. Am I hitting that right? They weren't for, there are Palestinians in Israel, but yeah, I, I, you, you hit that right. But There's then the Six yeah. Day War, same thing. You know, Egyptians attacked us and then we took over the Sinai. And the Yom Kippur War, Syria, Lebanon, we took over the Golan Heights. And, and, and then we gave back the Sinai to, to Egypt for peace. And we have peace with Jordan now. And, and, you know, there's also another interesting, just on that, just like on the weaponary side, you know, someone wrote, and this is really interesting. If Israel gave up its weapons, mm. there would be no Israel. If Hamas, Hezbollah gave up their weapons, there'd be peace. Wow. Pops a question. Is there a solution from your perspective other than the eradication of Hamas? <laughs> that is the question that all Israelis ask ourselves. We have these conversations all the time. Because... You know, there's no answer to that. I, I don't think there's always going to be extreme. Um, and then those extremists will always protect themselves with civilians. And then how do you annihilate those extremists without hurting civilians? That's impossible. It's just impossible because they're, that's guerrilla warfare. You can't. Um, and, and so then what's the solution? Because I don't see a way to annihilate Hamas without hurting a lot of civilians unless yeah. unless the world steps in you know if unless the world steps in unless saudi arabia qatar if, unless those countries step in and they help stopping hamas from doing this getting rid of hamas getting rid of iran's involvement in gaza and in the west bank getting rid of hamas involvement in in hezbollah um and also you know hamas the leadership of hamas isn't even in gaza they're in like luxury hotels in qatar and wherever and they're giving instructions from there they're not even getting affected by this. Right. These countries are just hosting these like terrorist organizations and but but then they're also trying to move towards peace. It's like it's total totally mind blowing to me. Um Yeah. Let's talk about Iran for a second. The reports I see are that maybe up to 500 Hamas fighters trained in Iran recently. Iran has denied any involvement in these attacks. What say you? Is there a is there a sense? I mean, you obviously hear their rhetoric, their narrative, their, you know what they say. Obviously, death to Israel, death to America. Is Iran involved in this attack? The main supplier of weapons to Hamas and Hezbollah is Iran. Yeah, there's no one else to supply them with weapons. Like we, you know, we 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 take out you know um, uh, convoys of weapons being shipped from Iran to Hezbollah, from Iran to Hamas, to sea, through land. I mean, all the time. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's a joke. But is Hamas capable of the type of coordination that it took for this specific attack? It was an air cover attack, and then they come in land and sea. And man, I mean, just the the God, the heartbreak, the stories you hear about what they did once they entered. Are they capable of that type of coordination? And for Mossad not to see it, not to know about it, 
Is that possible without the backing of a, of a, you know, a power, if you will, in the region like Iran? The answer is no. But there's also like this is also, you know, really bad, bad, bad military, Israeli military response here. Like the fact that we we were totally taken off guard, even with all these cyber attacks that also happen simultaneously and, and air, land, whatever. See, this is a total, total fuck up by, by our own military. This should not happen. But then also, the, and this, there's also an important aspect, and I, I don't know if we want to get into that now, but, you know, the, the whole notion is that it took hours to reach um, these Israelis that were stuck in their homes and to respond to the border crossing. And, and it took a long time to regain control, but the response was immediate. Like, I have friends and friends of friends that within 20 minutes were already there, like, fighting in these you know, on the border, in these military bases, in these towns, but totally shocked by the number of militants and terrorists that were in each of these. Hmm. Right. Um, we, we can dive into that. But that's sort of like um, the I do not think that Hamas could have taken pulled this off without any external support. It'd be impossible. Doesn't seem like it. Hezbollah is a Lebanese organization, terrorist organization to the north, seemingly much more organized much larger from what I could tell, at least. What is the risk? What's the readiness for their involvement in this conflict? So Hezbollah is not a Lebanese organization. Hezbollah is, is an arm of Iran as well. Um, and the Lebanese don't like Hamas. They don't like Hezbollah. Hezbollah, sorry. yeah. They don't, they, don't, they don't like them. They don't want them there, but they're, just, they're, they're there by force. And I mean, they might pull Lebanon into this. Like Lebanon, Lebanon does not really have a military. They're not strong enough to have military power, neither is Syria anymore. And so it's it's mainly Iran taking, you know, forces in there. Um, and there's a weird dynamic with Russia in that as well. Yeah. But 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 Hezbollah has the ability to escalate the situation in northern Israel incredibly. And they haven't started. Um, Israel is like preparing for that. Well, we don't have a choice. Like when, when Hezbollah decides to sort of like, uh, um, you know, set out, and draw rain on us of rockets, it'll be a lot more harsh than Hamas. Saudi Arabia is encouraging them strongly not to. What's their role in all of this? What kind of voice do they have in all of this, Saudi Arabia? That's a funny dynamic. I think most of the Gulf countries don't like Iran. Don't don't like Iran's involvement. Don't let, don't, you know, they, they're seeing the West and they want to become more like the West, have really good economic um, uh, prosperity and, and, and relations with the West. And Iran is preventing that. And so there's this weird dynamic. Are they, you know, condemning Israel and or are they supporting Israel? Um, and that has effects on their, you know, a, this fight against Iran as well. And that's why they're saying this about Hezbollah. Interesting. The the uh, impact on the region of this war, because it's going to be a while, it's going to be a protracted conflict, I would imagine, uh, unless, you know, like you said, unless there was just zero d- regard for any civilian life and you just go in and clear an entire strip. What is the impact economically in the region? And then I want to extract that out to if the war stays kind of where it is, Hezbollah doesn't get involved, Iran doesn't get involved. What's the broader impact economically, globally, potentially? So where, where's the impact in the region besides the obvious of, you know, death, carnage, all the bad stuff, but from an economic perspective or, or uh, uh, anything like that, what's the impact in the region right now and the immediate risk? So there, there, there are multiple facets to that as well. I think there are a lot of countries that are sort of hitching a ride on this conflict. Turkey is also playing a really bad side on this, you know, supporting Hamas and not calling them terrorists and thinking that what they're trying to do is totally legitimate and their attack on Israel and kidnapping and killing and raping of women is just like, yeah, it's legitimate. Um, and we have we have economical relations with Turkey, but there's always been conflict with Turkey as well. And so it's just weird dynamic. Um, the fact that the U.S. sent carriers and battleships to our, you know, our neck of the woods is a is an unprecedented action. The fact that the Chinese are sending the same thing, the, the fact that you know Saudi, there's like all these weird dynamics of countries that were never like this deeply involved, and so it, there is sort of fear that this will people are hitchhiking on this whole conflict. Some of them are helping, some of them might do the opposite. Obviously, I think it's you know Russia and Ukraine, 
now the focus has moved here and less there. So I don't know what Russia is going to do. So that's like on a, you know, the macro side of it. From the economical standpoint, usually war is good for the economics. Like you look at the U.S., the U.S., every time there's been war, has been there's been prosperity. But I think the difference is that when war is held overseas, it might be good for business. When war is in your own country, right. it's extremely bad for business. Israel, when you do reserve duty until you're 42, a very large number of the workforce of Israel is now drafted into reserve duty. Uh, and the rest, it's super hard to concentrate. Like you might be working, but you're working maybe at 50% because, you know, you're going to funerals and you're hearing about this and there's bombs coming in. So you, you have to go into a bomb shelter. So that's affecting the day-to-day of Israel. You know, small companies might have troubles. Large companies, you know, are really, everyone's going to have problems from a business standpoint if you're not resilient enough to deal with it. That's on the you know, private sector. The public sector you know, there's a huge cost to this war, and 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 that's going to create huge financial problems for, for Israel, and I think also, you know, countries around us if they come into it as well. It's interesting. Like, I, I think you're. It's a good point. War is good for business unless you're in the war. Obviously, like unless you're, it's in the, it's in your country. Kind of like, yeah, good point. <laughs> I can see how that would absolutely be the case. There's two questions I have off of this. One is, like, Hamas is like a twenty five thousand soldier organization everything that i've read maybe this maybe those numbers are off i mean i'm sure it's not exact but it's not a you know half million seven hundred thousand person group it's a it's a fairly small group are they capable of offense and defense meaning for what i'm reading like here comes israel i know the un is voting on you know a ceasefire and everything and israel's like i don't care what you say we're allowed to defend ourselves we're going in after them are they capable of still launching an attack while being attacked, given that their numbers are small, unless maybe that's where Iran comes in. So the attack is a different type of attack. We left, since we left Gaza 17 years ago, they've every, every, every year or so, they've been you know, firing rockets at us. And how do we defend with rockets? We try to destroy the rockets or, or the warehouses where they hold these, these rockets and all that stuff. The problem is Hamas, you know, they'll put a, imagine they'll take a rocket, They'll put the launcher in a hospital window. They'll put a timer on and they'll leave. All right. They'll store these rockets under school, under school, schoolhouses or, or kindergartens. And so, you know, that's guerrilla warfare. You can't, you can't destroy that completely unless you go in. They are not going to invade us by it. By, I mean, they, Hamas can't really, I mean, they, they can create a lot of, a lot of, chaos like doing what they did before obviously the chances of that happening now are close to zero so it's not i don't think hamas has any even with iran support they there's not going to be a ground invasion by hamas right but they're going to continue to attack us they still have these tunnels that they hide in and they can still infiltrate here and there and they're going to continue firing rockets until they're out of rockets or out of people um and that's their way to attack us. So, and and Israel, just again for context, before Israel, you know, attacks a rocket launch location, there are phone calls that are made to people who live in that location and tell them to leave because we're going to bomb them. Hmm. There are flyers that we drop out of the sky in Arabic saying we're going to bomb the, the time that we're going to bomb it. Like all that stuff is like you should get out because if you're here, you're going to die. Hamas doesn't want those people to leave because right. Hamas wants them to die because they want a good picture. Yeah. And then Israel just does. I mean, we have to. So we. So then there's this cycle. And so that's what Hamas is just continuing doing because they're really good at the world narrative and that story of showing dead people that we killed because they didn't let them leave. Yeah. The the uh, I like eight questions in my brain. Is this whole thing like this? This is boiled down to religion like this whole thing like there's the land part we talked about it but like what is it between palestinians and israelis jews and arabs what is it in that region or maybe it's everywhere that is so in conflict like i don't know is it simply hey we feel like this was our land and jews took it so screw you is that the arab perspective and on the israeli side is it like hey we have nowhere else to go this is this is the only place we have you've got 30 other countries you can go to like we got nothing 
sorry, but this has got to be our spot. Like we're here peacefully and then we get attacked and we got to defend ourselves. Sure. But is it all back to the Bible? Is all of this rooted in a religious disconnect? Like what do I care if Latin American people in, in thinking in the United States or black people, if I was a white guy or whatever, move into my neighborhood, there's no, you know, like we're aligned that we're human beings. I mean, I mean, some people might care, but uh, you know, but what is it in this when, when Jews become the larger demographic in an area or start moving into the Palestinian territory? Like, what is it that is so, I don't know, unacceptable about coexisting? Is it rooted in religion? I think the, the fundamentals probably were there. I don't think it's there anymore. What fundamentals of religion? Were the, uh, were the fundamental root at one point, but not any longer? I mean, the, the, the reason that, is, that Jews um, are in Israel is, is, because of, is, is because of history and religion. Sure. The reason Palestinians are in Israel is because of history and religion. The reason we're fighting for it is because protecting home. You know, I think if, if Palestinians had a really good life, you know, the fundamentals, if they had you know, food, money, and prosperity, then these terrorist organizations could not take advantage of poor people, of, of these people, and then we'd have peace. But then we're in a cycle where that can't happen now because, all right, they're poor people. These terrorist organizations are taking advantage of it and, this is, and, and then convincing them that it's all Israel's fault and Israel shouldn't be here and let's fight. And if you die, you're going to have 70 virgins in, in heaven. Yeah. That's like, Israel's not fighting for religion. We, we aren't. Like, we're just fighting to protect ourselves. That might sound like, like you know, I, I'm assuming that, you know, Palestinians probably hear the other side of that and say, we're attacking them because we hate them. But I, but the but that's not, not true. I mean, it's just one person saying that, but that's not true. I guarantee that if we were, if there was, if there were not any bombings, not any attacks on Israel, the Palestinian lives would be so much better. They're being convinced otherwise by their terrorist organization, but a hundred percent, no religion or anything. They have a really good life. They have food on their table. They have amazing beaches. They have terror, you know, that, that have tourism. That, that it, it's, it's, it's this, it's this, just like this snowball. That's just so hard to stop. Yeah. The, uh, the U S Biden administration, uh, did a, an exchange, $6 billion, uh, unfrozen for Iran in exchange for five prisoners five U.S. prisoners that were wrongfully imprisoned in Iran. The narrative now is that that $6 billion became, you know, a funding apparatus for God, for this attack on Hamas, uh, by Hamas. I, I, I don't know one way or the other. The broader question there is, though, what is it like for an Israeli in terms of relations with the West, relations with the U.S. in particular? It, it feels, if I'm an Israeli, I feel like a football a little bit, tossed back and forth. So one administration all in support, freeze out Iran, so on and so forth. Next administration, maybe a little looser with Iran. And here I am, Israel, in the middle of this saying, are you my friend or are you not my friend? What's the take from Israel about U.S. policy in that region today? I think U.S. has a lot of political aspects to the, its involvement in, in Israel. And it's like many times it's if, it, if this is good for my, you know, my political position, then I'll help more or less. But fundamentally, I think that all Israelis understand that Israel is our biggest ally. Uh, U.S. is our biggest ally, and no matter what, it'll have it'll, it'll have our back. Um, and specifically now during this crisis, I don't think anyone's really and like, civilians aren't thinking. No one's thinking about that. Yeah, like, the people are thinking about. You know, there's a lot of togetherness in Israel now, um, but but in terms of like external stuff, it's more it, America's with us. There's a lot of countries in the world that are against us. And we're trying to fight the narrative with, with those countries. Yeah, makes sense. The, oh God, I had two things here. So I want to talk about oil because I think there's a, a question potentially there. You mentioned China, Russia coming in uh, or, you know, Chinese uh, aircraft carriers, I think you're saying being deployed to the region, U.S. aircraft carriers. Other than, other than defense, like what is the, here's my belief. I don't believe that this war goes beyond a regional conflict. That doesn't make it small. That's terrible, obviously. I don't believe this is the beginning of World War III. In my mind, World War III means Russia's involved, China's involved, US is involved, like militarily. That's my take on it. Maybe I'm wrong. You tell me what you think. 
So if that's the case, what is the interest of a China and a Russia in coming in? I don't understand. What is their, what, what do they get for being at all involved in this war? I have a sense of what China wants the U.S. to do and my thoughts on that. But like, what is the international interest in being at all involved in this war? Why would they want to be? You know, any war takes the focus off of every other conflict that's, that's around, internal, external conflict. That's it, you think, huh? Elections, all that shit? I think that's a big component of it. That's crazy. Um, but Not you're crazy. But like you're you're probably right, and that's crazy. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. But but I do think that you know there is a scary scenario where it does escalate to be more than regional. So I'll give you an example. Okay, please. Let's say Hamas decides to take part of this, which basically means Iran is taking part. Let's just say Hamas decides to take part of this, and they you know go all in like they've never done before. Real quick, you mean Hezbollah? Hezbollah, sorry, Hezbollah, Hezbollah. Sorry, yeah. Hezbollah goes in all, all in on this, like a, like attack us like they've never done before. And then Israel needs support because let, let's just say we need we need support because, all right, we're, we're, we're like depleting our resource. Like we need we need help. And, and the U.S. is here and the U.S. for some reason decides to help like physically, you know, send in fighter jets to go and attack Hezbollah um, outposts. All right. Let's say that happens. They're Russian, they're Russian soldiers in southern Lebanon, in Syria. Like, they're Russian soldiers, they're Iranian. There's, like, a lot of, you know, other countries in there. And then, you know, right, by mistake, or something happens, and, and then, you know, someone who wasn't supposed to, that can escalate, right? Um, Is Russia militarily capable of doing anything right now, though? I have no idea. You know, you know? That's the thing. Like, I, I feel like China's sitting on the sideline right now, almost hoping for that scenario. Like, there's not a direct attack on Iran, but it's sort of uh, intermittently uh, or, or prox by proxy involves Iran or Russia. And if Russia feels like they're going to stretch their resources even more, the U.S. is now stretched in two different ways between Ukraine and U.N. support in Ukraine and then also support in Israel, potentially militarily or money wise. And China's just sitting back going like, cool, punch yourselves out. We'll go take Taiwan in the meantime. And, you know, we don't have the ability to respond. I just, I don't know. I, I struggle with how does, I mean, I, I don't know. There's a lot there. I'll let you finish your point. But my, I just wonder about other countries like Russia getting involved. Are they capable? And is China really going to step in? Are they really going to come in? You know, I, I doubt anyone's going to come in. I, listen, I doubt the chances are no one else is going to get really involved. And it's going to be Israel against Hamas and Hezbollah. And against the world, maintain the narrative. That's how it was, and that's how it always will be in the front. I, I assume behind the scenes, we have a lot of support, sure, you know, financially, military-wise, from you know the U.S. and other allies. But like the front line, I mean, yeah, Israel, Israel has and probably will always be on its own, protecting itself. Um, and and you know, we have a very strong um, ability to, to, you know, we have like we have all everything to lose. If we don't back against the wall, right? Right. So I don't believe that. I don't. I, I the chances that anyone else in like China, Russia, that they'll get involved is very, 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 very slim. Yeah, could happen. Like you said, I just I, I I'm trying to connect the dots between like why would they want to be? To your point, though. So we've 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 no we Israel attacks um, convoys of weapons going from Iran to Hezbollah. Yeah. While they're in Syria, while they're in Lebanon, like they've been, there have been these attacks, like publicly, you know, uh, um, they've been publicly announced, and the Israel does this while coordinating with Russia. Hmm. So, like, there is a communication there, and it's really weird because Russia's in there, and Russia's also an ally with Iran, and like this, this whole really weird dynamic. What's the uh, the only thing I economically I can think of that would have any negative effect internationally if this if this conflict broadens regionally at all is oil. What's the impact of like if, if Iran gets involved, Saudi Arabia like, is is oil potentially a recession plunging uh, commodity if if this if this conflict regionalizes more more countries in the region get involved even if it doesn't go international as far as like you know the, the west and the and china and russia get involved is is there a risk of recession because of constraints on oil i mean i think thinking that a tiny country like israel and this tiny war will affect anything on a massive macroeconomic level 
is a little sort of narcissistic from our side as as Israelis. I don't I don't think it's going to affect anything on a macro level. Um, at least not from a, like a, a commodity oil standpoint. Um, there are a lot of Israeli tech companies on the trade on the, in the U.S. stock exchange, but that also probably. I, I, I mean, I don't think this will this will affect that. Um, I doubt it. What's the conversation you have with your family about all of this? I think about that. Right, everybody in these two areas. Not everybody. But, you know, like most people, Palestinian, Israeli, whatever. Just want to raise your family, have a good life, right? Like, you know, that's kind of it, right? So as a guy with a family who just wants that, who right now isn't even able really to go back or doesn't feel like he can go back to uh, his country, what's the conversation with your kids? What's the conversation with your family? It's, it's, I mean, there's a lot of nausea. Like, we're all like feeling sick, uh, all of us inside. So when this happened... I was, I, was in, I was in the U.S. with my family and kids by chance for conferences here, three weeks. And then this happened, and, and it's like I got the same day this happened two weeks ago on Saturday. I got called for the military that I, should, I need to come in. And I'm like, guys, I'm in the States. And then it sort of and, and it hit me that, like, I'm in the States. Well, it's safer for my family probably to be here at the moment. It's better for my business to be here. But, you know, me being here means I'm not helping supporting my friends, my family, my country. And that's a huge, you know sickening thought that like yeah i mean when you think about it what's your top what your number one priority in life is protecting your nuclear family like that's all that matters but that comes on account of other things like abandoning my friends my family and that's like the feeling right and, and so those those are a lot of conversations i have with my wife my, my my friends my family back home like do we go when do we go back do we go back should we not go back like but like Israel is like all we have. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. What values do we want to have from our show our kids? Like, are we fighting for what matters? Or, but then there's a more basic value, like keeping us safe. And so, that's a conversation. And back home, there's a lot of unity. Like before this whole conflict broke out, there was a lot of conflict internally between. See, it's not right and left, but it's it's essentially like a lot of political conflict. What about? There's a whole. There was a whole trying to move on. Um, crippling the judicial system in Israel, mm-hmm. taking a lot of power out of that and moving a lot more to the to the to the government, um, which is dangerous. As you know, as a democracy, that's dangerous for a democracy. When the when you take you get rid of the checks and balances and you just have the government deciding everything. Yeah, and so there was a lot of internal debate uh, within Israel and a lot of fear of where we're going with this. You know, it was real. Like you felt like if you're, it, it turned into right and left conflict although i don't believe it's really right and left and 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 then it was like a lot of separation but then when this broke loose boom unity like everyone is like together in winning this helping each other out you know there's a lot of civilian initiatives to you know donations and and helping the military and food and shelter for the people that their homes were destroyed and so well that yeah yeah. that prompts a question then just putting on my my tin hat Mossad is, I mean, one of the most advanced intelligence agencies in the world. It's the the CIA of Israel, but it's incredibly advanced. You have the Iron Dome system. The IDF is one of the one of the you know it's, it's an amazing. You have an amazing military apparatus in Israel. Small country, but wow, defenses are built and and intelligence uh, capture is is uh, top notch. Netanyahu denies this, but Egypt says they warned Israel of something big coming from Hamas. We just talked about you know, conflict relieves narratives. Is there a chance that Israel knew and allowed a la Pearl Harbor conspiracy theory in the U S maybe they didn't expect as bad as it is, but to get unity, to capture, to get attention away from this government grab, you just talked about within the country, right? That the government wants to grab more control to get attention off of that, bring unity to the country and to, to potentially provide an excuse to full scale go forth with the attempt to eradicate Hamas, does Israel not heed? How does the how does the Iron Dome system not work? How does Mossad miss it? All of that. Talk to that. Iron Dome is working on ninety four, like twenty four seven. There's no doubt that it does it. Iron Dome defines what rocket it will hit, shoot down and what not based on the the, the trajectory of that rocket. I, it always worked. But like the conspiracy theories. I don't believe in that. I don't want to believe in that. I, I, it's hard. I doubt it. 
there's always a chance, right? Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. I doubt it. I think that what happened here is more th- uh, a situation of, of um, uh, shoot, what's the word? You know, compl- uh, complacency. Complacency. Um, because, you know, Israel gets hundreds of threats a day. A day. That it either treats or doesn't treat. Or, you know, assess what is, you know, high probability and what isn't. And I want to believe that this was a th- one of those threats that somehow came, like, just didn't go through. Um, but I might be wrong, and people might have, um, you know, wrongfully mistreated this threat. I mean, obviously, we did. Mistre- it, was, well, it was wrong. Right. It was like, but anyway, to your point, I don't believe this is a conspiracy. I think it's a lot. It's a lot. I don't think we're smart enough to have those. I mean, I, I doubt it basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Like, you know, you, you, when you, when you start to get past the date every, every week, month, year past the date and you learn these things, you're like, well, why wouldn't they have no, how do they not know there's 500 fighters from Hamas in Iran? Like that doesn't flag you. And then this warning from Egypt, Netanyahu says no, but you know, all of these things start to build these theories. And to your point, who knows? I mean, I don't know, but curious about your take on that. So, and you just gave it. Wow. What's next for you? What what is the what's on your mind? When do you head back? Do you head back? I mean, you're having these conversations. Like, what is next for you? So I've, I've, I mean, at the moment, I'm with family up in DC um, with my wife and kids, and I have a flight back in two weeks to Israel, and I try not to think too much of it of it in advance. So just, just you or the whole family? No, me and my wife and kids. That my wife is like, you're not going back and leaving us here. What if you're stuck there for months? That's not going to happen. We're staying together. And I understand that, and it makes sense, right? I, I, I mean, and again, that's what matters in life, right? Family, and also business-wise. Like, if I when I go back, I'm gonna get into reserves, and the business is also gonna, you know, slow down. But I try not to think that much in advance. Let's take it week by week and see what we do next. Uh, and so, it, it is very weird to live like this at the moment. But you know, for the sake of my nuclear family, this is what I'm gonna do, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well. Like I said, man, I, my heart breaks for anyone. I don't care who you are that goes through what they're going through. Everybody in your home country right now. It's just, I mean, especially kids, the whole thing is just raping women the whole night. Like, I, I don't know how anybody, I don't care what your side is. I don't care how, how much you might be, you know, like pro-Palestinian or, or whatever, or even be able to go through everything I went through and say, see, yeah, there's the narrative. That's why this is why we feel oppressed. Like we don't, but at the end of the day, you can easily say, but I don't support killing innocent people for the sake of killing innocent people. Like I think the international community needs to align around that. So whatever your decision, man, part of me is like, well, just stay, just stay in the States. What are you doing? Don't go back. What are you crazy? But I get it. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what you're dealing with right now. You're, you're a proud, you're a proud man. You're, you're part of that country. You're in that military. You have experience in that military. I see wanting to go home, but either way, man, stay safe. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for doing this as well. Thank you.